0: suddenly changed pace through the center. It's Bergkamp. That's magnificent.
1: The move,
0: and then this, which left Dabby's ass totally stranded. Hello and welcome. Do a wonderland. We, not you. We are an Arsenal podcast. I am your host, Chris, and this evening I am joined by two distinguished gentlemen. Yes, even you, Alice, to talk a little bit of Arsenal because that's what we do on this show. the The new format. We are succinct. We're on time. Almost, and we're ready to rock and roll, so let's jump into it and introduce the guests. You will see them in front of you if you're watching live if you 're listening in delay, you will shortly hear them. Good evening, first of all, Mr. Josh Dor. How are you doing, sir?
2: I am doing very well thank you uh, i've taken over danny 's um, hot seat. Uh, we won 't go into the reasons why it's hot, but um let's just say it 's uncomfortable. Um, pushing the buttons, because I have not done it (laughs) in a while. Uh, So as you see, if I'm ever looking down, it's because I'm doing the tweets at the same time. Um, What can I say? He makes it look difficult, and it is
0: multitasking he's uh he's sat in a pub watching this right now how the other half live we, we've got so many sponsorships and royalties now that danny can just sit there and do nothing we haven't that's a massive lie uh but we also have uh your medical hero and mine on the show tonight um fresh off of 497 shifts probably in a row according to the nhs in the uk it's mr ellis
1: Mel. ellis how are you doing sir i'm good thank you i'm glad to be back i think i looked with Danny when we tested my audio yesterday. And the last time I've actually did a pod was the 26th of August last year. So long overdue return, I'm looking forward to it.
0: So you're like the the Alex Oxlade Chamberlain of, of podcasting. You sort of come back you know pr- promise a lot and then ultimately get injured and miss the season it's you know that's fine
1: that's okay. probably more like Diaby with the, mu- the amount of time
0: I miss <laughs> yeah just without the talent um anyway <laughs> I'm joking dear listeners uh right let's say hello to just a couple of people in the chat um so just looking down I see um MJL is live on our Twitch channel evening to you sir uh, as you said Danny's in the pub uh, eating lots of food I would imagine. Um, Hambo Gumbles there, Paul Neil, Phil Macker, Phil's always there, Rudy Rastos, who else is there? Jimmy, Jimmy's there. Hey Jimmy, how are you doing? Um, and StreamYard, uh, that's the people who host us. But you know, it's nice to say hello to everyone, isn't it? Right, uh, let's get on with it then. So we'll, we'll talk a bit about Leicester, first of all, because obviously that was our last game. Um, seems it's been a while, let's, let's let's kick off with you. Unchained side. Lots of goals, a 4-2 victory. One man stood out, probably above the rest. We may come on to him individually in a minute. But your overall thoughts on the performance and how good we were as to how pretty poor Leicester were on the day?
1: Yeah, um, a much more dominant performance compared to the the opener against uh, Crystal Palace. Um, Yeah, Leicester were poor and I think they probably will struggle this season. I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, are they yet to actually sign a player this summer? Mm-hmm. Um, they've obviously got a lot of financial struggles and are going to have to sell before they can buy. Obviously, we've been linked heavily with Tealmans, Teel- but I don't know if that made... I didn't even notice him really on the pitch when he played against us, whether that's a, <laughs> a, a reason why we haven't gone for him or if it's just a case of the, just the way Leicester are playing. But yeah, Leicester were poor, um, but I thought really obviously, particularly Jesus, we, we were... We were brilliant, really. The way we played, the we really something seems to have clicked, really, on this side. Like I'm always excited for the start of the season, but now I find myself sort of like longing for the next game. I feel like with uh, Jesus, we've got someone or the striker that Arteta's always wanted, and I really think with the investment, the the, the players we brought in with Zinchenko, I think he was an unsung hero. I, I think they're both them. Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko are really unlocking players like Xhaka. I thought Xhaka had a very good game. I thought, obviously, Martinelli had a very good game. And I really think that sort of left side is really growing and flourishing under the players that we brought in and and the football that Arteta wants to play. And it was just it's one of those games where I thought 4-2 sort of flattered Leicester, really. I think we really dominated them. And I think it shows a lot about Jesus, that he's scored two goals, got two assists, and he's actually pissed off that he didn't probably score three or four. And I think that shows the quality in the team we've got and um, the level I think we've we've stepped up to this season. And I, it's, it's just really positive. I just find myself, like I said, just longing for the next game. I know it's the start of the season and everyone sort of, or most people generally tend to, to feel really optimistic about about the performance of the season. But compared to our, our start last season, having watched um, all or nothing and having to be reminded of our our three opening games compared to, to where we are now, it's... The future looks bright, and I'm I'm very optimistic.
0: Mm. Our future looks as bright as uh, Man United's new third strip. More on that later. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, we'll definitely touch on the feel-good factor around the club and its supporters. That's something I want to discuss after we've broken the game down a little bit. So, um, Josh, we we don't want to sort of make this the Gabriel Jesus podcast, but it's hard to ignore how good a performance he put in he was excellent on the opening night against Palace, certainly for, for the first sort of 50, 60 minutes of the game, anyway. But this this was the game where he broke out, wasn't it? I mean, uh, brilliant finish for the first to, to get that much loft in such a tight space. His dribbling, his hold at play, his strength as well for a guy who's, you know, he's quite heavy set, but he's very hard to get off the ball. And he anticipates that period, I think, in the second half where he held off, was it Johnny Evans and just rolled mm-hmm. him and was taken out? But yeah I mean two goals two assists i mean he he just he just looks like a player who's really happy and of course this week was announced as um part of the the leadership crew that we have in the in the back room what what do you make of of his performance and a sub question do you slightly worry that if anything was to happen to him, we might be up the creek a little bit
2: yeah, I think it was a dream home debut, should we say for for jesus it's exactly what we kind of brought him in for is yeah scoring and creating which is what we've really called for in a striker we've either had the last two strikers have either been a, a finisher or a creator and we've not had that option and it kind of shows i think if we look back in january do we wish that we'd got um vlajevic over jesus in the summer and to be honest I was thinking I'm happy we held out for him because he looks to be that perfect striker for us for exactly what he brings to the team. And yeah, he was afforded a bit more space than we were at Palace. Um, Obviously he's used to playing at the Emirates as well. Doesn't just play there when he was with Man City. Remember it was the Brazil national team squad's um, home ground for a few years. Uh, So he's definitely had a lot of, um, A lot of time in that home dressing room as well. And I think, yeah, there's been so much buzz around him coming in and it's his chance as well to show what he can do in the run-up to December. I think we've got him at a perfect point. And yeah, Leicester look like they're in disarray. And you can see from the tactical breakdowns how well we've done against, like Johnny Evans, and we've always targeted him and just that ball over the top. Yeah, there's, there's so many standout performances, I think against Leicester, and even performances of players that I'm sure we're going to go on to, Aaron Ramsdale. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about necessarily how poor he was in some chances if that exact moment you were talking about where Jesus rolls uh, Johnny Evans, that's just a ball straight up and would be marked as an assist for Ramsdale if he does put away the chance to get to his hat-trick. And I think, yeah, it was just going to be the start of things to come with Jesus and you can see how positive everything is around the club because I don't think I've seen so many people on Twitter saying they're watching the under 21s that's how hungry you are now for games
0: mm. yeah that's true it's, it's quite quite the change around isn't it just just sticking with you for a second that just something else that come out of what you said there that I wanted to To bring up, um, there was a a tweet that went around that I I happened to just see, you know, how things are retweeted into your timeline. And it was actually somebody mocking somebody who was trying to be negative. But I actually thought it got me thinking because the tweet essentially was saying, has anyone else noticed that in the opening two games of the season, in both games, we've had less possession than the opposition? Um, And the guy who sort of subtweeted it was like, (laughs) only you, your weapon kind of thing, because it's the sort of thing that only Arsenal fans will look for. But I actually looked at it, and now granted, Leicester had fifty-one percent, so we're talking literally two percent. But I do wonder if if it's a slight um, transition in in Arteta ball this year, because in his first sort of eighteen months, it was all about possession, possession, possession. It was the pet model. It does feel a bit more like this season we're willing to let the opposition come at us because we seem to be a lot more heavily reliant on the counter attack, particularly with that front three. Do you feel like it's just purely because of the two teams we've opened up against, or do you think this is the model that we are going to be probably going to take in, taking on into the season further? That's for you, Josh. Sorry.
2: Oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, I was writing. I was doing other things.
0: I wonder, Uh, I thought you were stunned into silence for a minute there.
2: No, I mean, your question did go on for a while and I kind of zoned out. Um, Naturally. um, Yeah. You were looking about, well, I suppose the tongue-in-cheek about the possession thing is Leicester had to kick off five times, so that's uh, that's certainly not going to help. But yeah, it, it's um, to be honest, I missed the end of the question after you mentioned about uh, the possession Four. bit. That was the only thing I had on it. Sorry. Would you
0: like me to refresh? So I'm just Please. I'm just wondering whether you feel that based on those two stats with the less lesser possession, hmm. do you feel like we're going to take this counter-attacking style on into the season, or is it purely a little bit of Circumstances where just we've played two teams that prefer to sit a little deeper and and you know sort of try and yeah. play that way against. Them. I
2: think we've been a bit smarter about it. I think it depends on how you know how they're taking possession. Is it time with the ball, number of passes, uh, you know, number of touches? There's a couple of ways you can measure possession. And I think when I saw us play Palace, it was about making sure that if Anderson had the ball, to be honest, we were quite happy with him just having it because the percentage chance of him playing those long balls consistently and the ball being good enough to get in behind us. We're happy for him just to sit on it and try and wait for that pass. And I think that's what's happened is we've become more savvy and yeah, I'm sure you can look into it and say certain teams didn't dominate possession. You know, top teams don't necessarily dominate possession in all games. And it does seem like a, Oh, remember that if you're controversial you tend to get more clicks and more views then it's one way to go down it but to be honest I'm not really in the mood for picking apart the minutiae of uh, two great performances generally Um, I'll I'll leave that to Arteta to uh, sit down and stay at 3 a.m in training ground to be doing that
0: Mm. And and opt to, to Michael, whoever he's called, can deal with the stats and statistics and everything that goes with it. Um, just to say, by the way, if you are watching live and you do want to give us a question, um, if you can do just what Jimmy and Phil have done, just put, put, put a capital Q at the start of your message and then the question afterwards, we will try and keep a, a list of those for the end of the show. So feel free to chuck them in as we go. Ellis, um, a, a player that's really stood out for me, in Certainly in the start of the season, um, just because he looks he looks like a different animal. And I don't know whether there's, it's because there's a certain World Cup coming up or whether he's just very happy. But Gabriel Martinelli, he just looks to me like a, a man with a, a point to prove this season. He's got competition in that left-sided wing role. Um, he potentially might get used to the middle at some point. Took his goal really well. But just his, his overall performance, not just the two games, but pre-season as well, he just looks on it, doesn't he? Looks fitter, looks brighter, looks really at it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think he was probably tipped by a fair few people, especially people who'd watched him in pre-season to to really knock on this season. And I like I mentioned previously when I was talking about the effect uh, that the new boys have had him. I think he's got a good connection with Jesus. I think Sinchenko on that that left full back offers quite a lot more in terms of attacking and passing range compared to what, what Tierney offers as a left-back and what our other left-backs have offered. And I think it, they're really gelling well together and they seem to sort of get quite pulled. there. like all four of our goals pretty much against Leicester came from that left-hand side, was was involved with either Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Jesus, Shako and Sinchenko. They were all sort of minning around, getting quite close. And it seems to, to really be affecting Gabriel he's getting more chances and it I think the other hand is people sort of look at they look at Zaka Saka uh, don't they and think, oh he's not really doing much. But I think it's because he's just got a lot less responsibility at times. I think we were really relying on Saka a lot more. Whereas now a lot of it is going through Jesus, going through that sort of left hand side. But I think what what hopefully we'll see is at the moment, that left-hand side is getting a lot of joy for us. Whether players in the Premier League will start to cotton on to that and then start to put more onus on trying to shut down that left-hand side, which will then free up, hopefully, the right. And you'll see Odegaard, who likes to drift out there. You'll see Saka, who's hopefully going to be in more space Of people to get more worried about Martinelli and more worried about Jesus. But I think, yeah, you've probably touched on it a bit as well. We've got a um, World Cup coming up. There's a lot of competition in that that Brazilian squad across the front three, really. You can name a lot of players that that play in the Premier League or play for big clubs like Real Madrid, with the you know, Junior and, and obviously, we won't say his name, but Richarlson has featured a lot for <laughs> for Brazil, his competition there. So I think he's really, that's probably playing on his mind a lot, but I think this is really going to be a good season for him and he, he is going to step up solely for that, that performance to try and get into Brazil to be in the manager's plans to play for Brazil in the World Cup and, if anything, it's better for us if we get a more hungry, a more slightly mature. I think he's matured a bit in the way he plays, and I, it's only going to be better for us. And the more we have him playing, and Lincoln Wells and Chenko and this is like I say, hopefully we're going to get more goals from him, and potentially for a while we won't get found out. We won't not found out. It's probably the wrong the wrong phrase, but clubs won't get on to that for a while and we get a lot of joy from them and if it does come to the case where they start to put more men on him then it's only going to free up other players I think what we've got and what Arteta has brought to this squad is we've now got a very mobile very hungry very um, pressing front three in Saka Martinelli Gabriel just even front four if you want to include um, Odegaard he's a good presser as well and I think it's not a case of everything goes through Saka and you shut him down you shut down that attack. The thing is, you try and shut down him, you've got Kevin Martinelli. You try and shut down Jesus, you've got Saka on the side. There's a, there's a lot of players there which are going to afford us a lot of flexibility. And, and yeah, like I said, good things. I think we're going to get a lot more out of him. I think the one complaint from last season is there's not enough goals spread out. Whether we are going to, like you say, rely a lot on Jesus and when he potentially, if he does get injured, we're going to look for other people to step up, step up. Hopefully, Martinelli's bought that form and like you said, we could potentially play him through the middle instead of Enchetti or and other games and go from there. So, yeah, hopefully he stepped up. He looks good. It's only two games. He had a good preseason as well. Hopefully he continues to build on this form. and We get a, a, a much more um, goal output and assist output from him.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's all very well starting well, but we've got to see the continuance of it. But definitely positives. And um, speaking of positives, Josh, um, the, the 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 goal, the goal fiend, Granite Jacker is <laughs> is at it, um, notching from from close range. I think it's fair to say it was a terrible piece of goalkeeping from from Danny Ward that presented the chance, but. Something seems to be a little different in that midfield sort of role this year, doesn't it? it? Almost seems like Thomas Partey has been has been invited to sit a little deeper, which was arguably the role that Xhaka was was doing. And now Xhaka's been given that more kind of box to box role, which I know J- um, John was very keen on us utilising him in because that was what the best form he had was at, at Mönchengladbach, playing that similar role. Is it is it just that, that uh granite is just happy? Because we, we've seen a different side to him, haven't we? It's fair to say he his rebirth has has been quite the thing with Arsenal fans. I'll stop short of saying, and I'm in love with him, but you can't <laughs> deny he started the season well and, and that partnership does look pretty settled, doesn't
2: it? Yeah, I think what has changed is rather than Partey sitting deeper like he did at the end of last season, is we've brought the fullbacks in next to him now that Zinchenko's come in he was the left back that has that kind of quality and when personally I saw us getting Zinchenko in I said the best place for best position for him is in midfield he's a superb midfielder I think obviously when you're trying to get into the Man City midfield you've got to be Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva uh, or an equivalent to Rodri to really get in it's some very, very good players in world football generally wouldn't get into that midfield. So I think what we've got in Zinchenko, he just offers that safety net that he knows how to cover at left back. We don't need Xhaka to be sitting so far. And in that defensive role that we know that he gets punished for more often than not. Um, Sorry, Miguel Delaney. I know um, referees definitely don't have any biases um, culturally or not. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, and I think that's the thing that we've been allowed to let Jacker. and I think it's the case on the other side, but obviously with Odegaard, we know um, he was afforded freedom anyway, but those two kind of sitting together, they're both just as aggressive as each other, as as probably Odegaard was generally uh, towards the end of last season. But one thing I have noticed is he's not pressing as much. Was, you know, he was the guy that was leading the press. Now I've got Jesus doing that as well. So I think there's a slight difference in what's happened with our midfield. And we've got a slightly more stable base. What I would like to see is us against um, more quality opposition. Nate Leicester obviously scored two goals against us. But I think it's just going to see how that's going to work. And especially with Tommy Arsu coming back, what does that change to the dynamic? Because obviously we have got Ben White playing there right now. How does that change with Tommy Arsu? Because I think, as Ellis was talking about us switching between which flank we're most aggressive down, I think because uh, Ben White isn't necessarily as athletic, should we say, in getting up and down the pitch as Tommy Arsu is, that perhaps that's why we're being a bit more reserved, because Saka's having to do a lot more tracking to kind of engage further down the pitch because Tom, Tommy Austin would normally have that covered. And that's why we're hitting the left. And obviously Martinelli, what a preseason he had, he's getting assists left, right and center. And so I think last time I was on, I said, "Has Martinelli got better in preseason or is it because we've got a decent striker for him to hit? Um, I think it's a bit of both, but he does look really hungry. Um, uh, so, it's the same for Jacker as well.
1: Mm.
0: I think I think like um, Steph said in the chat there. It is nice to see Granite Jacker playing with a smile on his face. I mean that that is nice. I mean we we have been through all of the emotions with Granite, and I think we I think we'll all probably whether we you know whether you're a fan or you're not. I think you can all sit there quietly and go. We all know at some point this season. We we know we know he's going to happen. We know he's going to two foot somebody through the middle of the pitch and you know cost us a game. But but that's the player he is, and that's just kind of what you get. But it is nice to see him settled. And and I think um, a few other podcasters have made this point on their shows, and I've seen it written a few times that the the all or nothing documentary has brought out certain players. I think Shaka is, is one who's come out quite well from it, and and strikes you as a quite a humble guy and. The interview, like with his family as well, I thought that was quite telling in how his wife came across about how he deals with it. Um, and he's just a very old school footballer, isn't he? You know, if, if you think he's been a cunt, he'll tell you he's been a cunt, and that's just kind of how it is. Um, we will just touch on the—I don't want to say negatives, Alice, but um, you know, we do have to say we did concede two fairly sloppy goals. Um, the first one, I think, is is a genuine mix-up. I think. I think Saliba kind of has to go for that ball. It, it's just heading is probably the weakest area of his game, despite being six three six four. It's just one of those sort of moments. But the pressure was there to, to put him into that position. And then the the second goal, it, it's a good finish. I think I think it depends if you're a goalkeeper or a striker as to what you say about that. Whether it's you know iffy goalkeeping or just a good take. Um, but the thing I really liked about it is we responded both times. And some of that will be down to how bad Leicester were organised. But any concerns that against a better side if we give up two chances or two opportunities like that? And let's not forget, as the first half, was it for Fana that went close as well? Better teams will punish us, won't they? So is that just a bit of Arteta's post-match interview saying we do need to do things better?
1: Yeah, potentially. I think yeah, you, you make a good point at the start of the game. Leicester did have a bit more of the ball. Fana was through quite early on in the game. Um, they looked a bit dangerous. As for the Saliba goal, obviously surprise, surprise. You don't blame Saliba too much, but but no, I think I think, <laughs> I think um, yeah, I sort of agree with you. It's a, it's a, I don't think we'll see him do that again if ever. Um, and if he does, it won't be for a very long while. It's just one of those things that happens. Sometimes you get your feet wrong, sometimes you head it wrong, and it goes in, and it's just just one of those things. And, and Like you said, we responded both times really well. I think people made points. I didn't quite clock it um, watching the game or even watching the highlights, but I've seen a lot of people make points on podcasts um, and on, on my Twitter feed about how the fans actually clapped and applauded like Saliba and cheered him on a bit not long after he conceded that goal, and I think... That really helped. You saw um, I think it was Odegaard come right up to him, give him a big pat on the back. Like there's a lot of um team what's the word? Camaraderie. Togetherness. To, yeah, camaraderie, mm-hmm. togetherness it's both there. Work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and you can see the get the team and obviously the fans supported him. And I think that's great. And <laughs> going back to Granite Shacker, had that been um potentially last season and not William Saliba, and that was Granite Shaka who headed him there. I don't think the fans would have been as uh, supportive, but but there we go. I think, I think it's great. He's he's a young, very talented centre-back, and I think the worst thing you want to do is get on his back when he makes a mistake and you've got to nurture these guys. And uh, Like you've said and like you've done many times on Pods and on Twitter, you've praised him and said how, how good he can be. And I think it's important to sort of nurture that. And and if he is going to be as good as you say, we want him at Arsenal, don't we? Um, and as for the, the second goal, the... um. The Madison goal against um, Ramsdale. I think Carl's mentioned a couple of times in that chat. I don't know if he's mentioned it on podcasts, but he has had some concerns. And I think other people have concerns with uh, his form carrying on from the end of last season into this one. I thought first game of the season against Crystal Palace, I couldn't really say he'd done much wrong. I think at times Ramsdale probably kept us in the game. I think <laughs> it's 50 50, really. It's a good shot from Madison if he is going to score. From that position, you're going to have to hit it hard and you're going to have to go between his legs. And I think that was the only way he was going to score from that position. Ramsdale at his near post probably should do better as well, but it's not as if he's uh, David De Gea in uh, the the game earlier in the weekend where it's a little light ball squirming through his hands. There, There was power on there. You can sort of forgive him that. But I think what it shows, and like you mentioned in the question, it shows a way we can sort of respond to that and... Other times, I think we'd probably crumble. Last season, I think we'd probably crumble under that sort of pressure. This season, again, potentially, if you're going to be a bit on the harsh side, you can sort of say, Leicester, let us back into it with poor goalkeeping um, in the third or fourth goal. I can't remember what it was. Um, but yeah, I think it's good. It's good for the team camaraderie. It's good for the fans to to not get our back. And I think... There's a feel good factor going around the stadium which builds into that and it shows with the way the players are playing. We're not necessarily gonna concede and just crumble under the pressure of going back to within one goal. And it's good to see. I think it flattered them really. I think on another on another day, Zaliba's not gonna head that into his own net and that shot from Madison with that power is gonna crash off the bar or the post or hit Ramsdale on the chest and not go for his legs. So I think I think it flattered them. I think we were we were we weren't ever really in any danger and like you say on both occasions we struck back pretty quickly so we never really had the chance to lip that that fear factor seep in
0: yeah and on another day I think if we take the chances that we create we
1: we win that game five or six I mean there was well, a period day, so. that,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. It's yeah. It's it's a hit the bar from yeah. a close range at the near post Any other day that goes in and we've mentioned it before Jesus could have scored four goals yeah. on another day it could be 6-2 not 4-2 or 6-0 yeah
0: there was a period, wasn't there? I think just when we went where we scored the two quick goals, then I think we were three 0 up, and it was like you. you I, I was list, I was sort of listening to the audio rather than, than watching it because, as you know, I don't do streams. Um, but yeah, it, it sounded to me like we were ripping them to pieces at that point, and they didn't know how to respond. And that's something that seems to have changed since last season, where I feel like at, at times last season we were almost a bit afraid to go for the throat. We were sitting on one or one nil or two ones. And, and I hope that this is the sign of a, a new ruthless Arsenal that actually take their chances and, and put teams to the sword. Um, nice transition, though, Josh, in, into what Ellis said there about the Saliba situation with, with the own goal. The crowd noticeably did get behind the player, and I think some of that is because they clearly like, you know, he's a he's a he's a very likable. Um, he, he's one of those players because he's been away for so long. I think people want him to succeed. So, yeah, I think like Ellis said, if that had been another player, it might have been a slightly different reaction, but it does bleed into this new positive energy that we seem to have got going through the ground. And I'll be interested to see what it's like. I'm going up um, next Saturday. It'd be very interesting to see what the mood is like because as Arsenal fans, we, we can be a little bit on the toxic side, I think it's fair to say. And of course, while the sun's out and, you know, we're winning games, there isn't going to be a problem, but there does feel like a feel good factor, doesn't that? There does feel like a togetherness between manager players, fans, um and even some goodwill from other supporters i think i've noticed a few supporters from other teams that are starting to go actually yeah, they're quite quite enjoyable they're quite likable team again does it are you comfortable with that or do you kind of prefer it when we're all uh having an opinion on something that's going wrong because people have different views
2: yeah i think there's still things i can get annoyed about i think uh Uh, my top gripe at the moment is anybody who refers to the fan base as we, when they then spout their terrible opinion and say, we as the fan base had no idea what Arsenal was doing um, in transfer windows. And you go, "Mm, is it just you and your ignorant opinion that you're then putting on the fans? Um, But I think otherwise, I think the other thing that probably can't be given um, enough help in that would be the all or nothing documentary to be honest because i think everybody has watched it and seen the togetherness in the team it's helped answer a lot of the questions they didn't want to find answers for in terms of how arteta's perceived behind the um they're behind closed doors how the team rallies around him as well and what kind of buzz they get from us you could really see how much um you know with Saka and Smith Rowe are talking about wouldn't it be great to score your first goal in the North London derby and obviously in that game they both do and it's that kind of thing that you realize there is that positive effect and I think a lot of the core fans that would uh, go to the Emirates do and generally are positive and get behind the team but you know, when you've got a stadium full of 60,000 people and there's a majority of boers or a minority of boers, they tend to shout a little bit louder than the people who are just happy. Um, but now there is that proper support in there, everybody who's making noise is all doing it positively. And yeah, Saliba has been potentially caught up in some um conspiracy theories, should we go with, and uh, of how he has been perceived to be treated. Um, by the club, but now he's here. And obviously, what obviously helps is whenever any player is out of the squad for an extended period of time, how good they are always elevates above their actual standard. Uh, I can think of, you know, when Rob Holding was injured for a couple of months, he then becomes the next um, Maldini. And then when he comes back in, you go, oh, yeah, he's Rob Holding, our fourth choice centre back. Um, and again, for someone like Aaron Ramsey or Jack Wilshire. Yeah, you know, you're wondering if you were getting the the star kid that completely uh, bossed the game against Barcelona, and again you go, "Oh no, he's our fourth choice midfielder." So I think that's there's part of that hype in Saliba, and obviously he is there and he's a high quality player. But I think the hype that finally seeing him um, has brought a load of positive energy into the club.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Before we move on to um, the next subject, which is something actually I'm going to kind of slightly splice into the pods this, this year because I, I think it's important that we do look at other clubs. So I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. But um, I'm just going to ask you for I'm, I'm going to ask you for a one-word answer here, which is, is why I'm going to ask the question or answer it because we all know I can't do short answers. Um, yes or no? Do you feel confident that we are either? top four or challenging so i'll ask you the two so Alice, top four yes or no yes and challenging for something a bit higher and higher could just be third i'm not saying title but
1: higher than third higher than 4th Higher than of fourth to third yes not for the title no
0: okay that's fine yeah that's fine <laughs> you can caveat it um same to you josh fourth
2: oh yes fourth okay
0: and aspirations
2: of a bit higher second no, it seconds. Interesting. Okay. Uh, it depends if Liverpool can keep uh, ten players on the pitch for the uh, rest of the game. Well, or eleven you know, players, we say.
0: You gotta play with your head, haven't you, haven't you, Darwin? Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean that does lead me nicely in. Let's say I wanna this season, obviously we are on Arsenal podcast. It is gonna be focused on Arsenal. Of course it is, that's why we're here. But I do just kind of wanna look at our rivals at, at the time of each week that we do a pod and, and just sort of a, a very brief overview of Maybe the big story of the week um, this week, I think I think it's fair to say that that Man United are the story of, of this particular week. They, I, I, I always feel like I don't want to laugh too much because we were there, weren't we? Let's be honest, we were exactly where they were—not just last season, but sort of post-Venga and, and at times under Unai—and and it, it was—it felt pretty rough. Um, I'll just ask you both, uh, and we'll keep this brief, but. What, where's your head at on this one, Alice? I mean, do you, do you look at their... None of our fans are going to feel sorry for theirs, but do you look at what's going on at United and think, actually, what we did was bang on. You know, we got rid of the egos. We got rid of the players that, that were potentially on the fringes that were just taking up wages. We changed the manager and we went for a whole new philosophy. For a club of their size, and let's not forget one of our biggest rivals over time... It, it's embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, Brentford tore them to pieces at the weekend.
1: Mm. Well, I think, like you say, there are there are um, you can make comparisons. Obviously, our start to to um, last season and their start to this season. But I think with our start to last season, you can caveat it with the fact that we had a injury or not injury, COVID struck squad for the first game of the season against Brentford, who were a newly promoted hungry team, and the team that we put out there. You'll probably never see us put out again unless it's in the Carling Cup. And we probably won't be able to think. Some of those players have gone now. Um, and then we followed that with a game. That, was it City and Chelsea or Liverpool and Chelsea? I can't remember uh, now.
0: We played Chelsea and Liverpool together. Yeah. uh oh Christ. Yeah, Chelsea because Lukaku scored his one goal in England, didn't he, against us? Of course.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then um, I can't remember. City. It was. City of was, course City. It was yeah, the five. Yeah, yeah, of course.
1: Yeah. So. That's the caveat to our start of last season, whereas their start of this season, again, they played a promoted team. Um and oh, have they have they they play the first game of the season? United, Brighton. Brighton, so not a promoted team, they played Brighton and Brentford, didn't they? So two mm.
2: They did do um, better against Brighton than they did last season. They only lost two one <laughs> rather than four <4-0. laughs>
1: 0 <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> Sorry.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I think I think, and I've seen people say it, or journalists say it, that United should look at how we run our business and not do the same as us, but attempt a similar sort of model. Like you say, get rid of the egos, go for an actual plan of action, get a manager in who has a certain style and target the players he wants, whereas they've done it for years now, and that's why I think they've sort of drifted. They've just gone, we're Man United, we're going to slap 50, 60, 80, 100 million, whatever, at a big name. Not necessarily someone who fits the way you want to play. Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, he's a big name, a great player, but did he really fit the way that United want to play? Does he fit Ten Hag's the way that he wants to play? Probably not. Obviously, he wants out, but who's going to take him? And I just think they are filled with or full of players who have an ego, who think they're probably better than they are. Players that we similarly have had that aren't as good as what they think they are and aren't willing to work, aren't willing to play the way they should play. And they're trying to get players to play a way they probably can't play. I think it's, it's, a, it's a mixture of them. It's it's just strange. I can't remember who I saw they were linked to now, but uh, the gentleman from um, Athletico, what's his name?
0: Matthias Cunha. Or Chalf- Chalf-
1: no, Chalf- 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 Felix. No, Jao Felix. It was yeah. a link with a massive move for them, I just think. Mm-hmm. Really, that's just, just typical of them. Just slap money at the problem and think it's going to go away when it's not. When you need to have a plan, you need to have a vision, you need to, at the moment they've got Ten Hag in, really see the club should be looking at who he wants and is that someone he wants? I'm not so sure. Is it just a big name that they want to slap a lot of money on? Mm. And yeah, I don't feel bad for him, but I can see the similar natural areas. But again, if I hark back to our season, last season, there was still a plan there. There was something that they were building to with Arteta, with the players they wanted. It was just, unfortunately, a poor pre-season and a COVID-hit squad that hampered to start of the season. When Arteta started to get in the players he wanted and the players he brought in were fit and he started to bring in Ramsdale into the squad and bring in the players he brought, you saw us improve vastly from the start of the season. Whereas I can't really see that happening from Man United. Again, I don't follow them as closely as what I follow Arsenal, do you really see a plan there? i don't know josh do you see a plan? just going back to um gary neville figure uh, us yeah. oh, i don't see that um,
2: plan there. <laughs> Yeah. um i think that's the one thing that i like is that man united's problems are really really easily solved even with the current squad they've got you could create a better team than that's being put out on the pitch and what i think is the funniest is that they can't see what that is. Uh, do I want to put it on a public platform? Yeah, screw it. There's only 40, uh, 53 people watching. It's hardly <laughs> going to get into the, uh, yeah, into the board for Man United. And they'll start doing this when it's 10 hogs thinking. But immediately, just put Fred, uh, yeah, put Fred in midfield. Leave Fred in midfield and put Martinez there as well. Martinez and Fred. Drop McTominay. Done. That's all you need to do. Someone put Sancho out on the right wing where he was the best player under 21 to be out on the right wing for two seasons in the whole of Europe. And I saw something
1: on Twitter about Sancho, yeah. sorry to interrupt, he's gone through more managers than he's scored goals for United in the Premier League. I know, it's insane. just crazy.
2: <laughs> for a player that was smashing it up at Dortmund and where the place that United are in at the moment, they could quite easily wreck Replicate what was happening and that kind of tactic, the kind of tactics that Dortmund were doing. You know, they could hit teams on the counter because people aren't scared of them anymore. United don't need to dictate possession; that um, they, they their, their expectation just isn't there anymore. Um, but anyway, I don't want to be giving them too many ideas. Um, just continue what you're doing, Glazers. Um, you're doing a fantastic job, and just you know, keep out the haters. Um, Elon Musk won't, won't buy them anyway. Um, so, yeah, you'll be fine.
0: I think someone, put, I think it was either Steph or Mr. Bob Lex. I can't remember. I'm trying to find the quote now, but mm. they basically described Man United as like the, the drunk who staggers into the kebab shop and just orders everything at quarter to midnight.
2: Um, oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that is classic, isn't it? Like transfers, just give me all the players. I don't care who, like whoever I can get. It is a little bit.
2: It's a bit like somewhat like Ten Hag said, oh, these are the players I want. And, you know, in these positions, once you get this player, it's fine. Just don't, just forget about the rest of the players. Mm. And then they just completely just gone, oh, um, yeah. So you asked for, you gave us a list of three, three wingers. So we've bought you three wingers. And (laughs) Ten Hag was going, no, 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 no. I only wanted one of them. Or Or, it's the same as centre-backs.
0: Or it reminds me of when you order online shopping and they haven't got any butter. So they give you a (laughs) cucumber. It's like yeah, but all that. Do you, do you remember? This is a dated reference, but do you remember the fast show sketch with the guy who came in? She's like, did you get the lamb better than that? I got four fishing hooks, a cardboard box and a tin of Judah. And it's like, OK, that's what it's like. Man United's transfer strategy. It's just a mess. Uh, it was Mr. Boblex, by the way, who, um, who came up with that. So thank you to that for that, sir. Um, the only other, probably, I guess, the big game of the weekend was was the Spurs Chelsea game. Um, we're not going to give them the airtime because they don't deserve it. Um, they're just cheating bastards, basically. And that Romero, he's got one coming. Yeah, some somebody will take him out at some point this season. And I, for one, hope it's Granite. If if there's one red card this season that Granite takes, put that guy into outer space because he's a dirty little piece of work. Um, and it is nice to see that PJ Moel are still indeed just politely. You know, just, just skating over any Spurs decisions. Lovely, that. Lovely. <laughs> anyway, let's move on before I go down that route. Um We have had quite a lot of questions, so we are going to come on to those in a minute before we sort of um close the show down. But I do just want to kind of look ahead to the, the next game. We, we won't do the preview because the preview show, which, uh, by the way, Fran was on our preview show with Danny last week, did an excellent job. So shout out to Fran. We're playing Bournemouth on Saturday. It's the it's the tea time game. Um, yeah, never quite sure about these. Ellis, how are you feeling about that? Because on paper, we all know games aren't won on paper, etc. and so on. But it it is a, it's a winnable fixture. Um, not sure what uh, what jacket Scott Parker's going to wear. I almost feel like he's he's one he's one week away from coming out in a full sort of. I'm not going to say what I was thinking, but if I said uniform, <laughs> you'd know what I was thinking, wouldn't you? But he—he—he's uh, very interesting in his in his attire, shall we say. But do you feel that that's a game we've got to go there and you know put Bournemouth to the sword like Man City did at the weekend because they swept them aside? But it is that tight ground, isn't it, and compact and all that, so it's not going to be easy.
1: We're sitting at home against Bournemouth or away. away
0: they were at home
1: yeah right. at home. yeah yeah so i think yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a different kettle of fish at, at Bournemouth's home ground um i still say I'm, I'm confident really i think we've definitely got enough to get past them i don't think it's going to be a repeat of um playing brentford the, the first game of last season playing a newly promoted team that got something to prove prove away but um yeah, I think we would like you say, smaller ground. Not going to be afforded as much space as what we have at our ground or what City have at their ground. But I think the way we're playing, I am quietly confident. But I never like to be too confident because it worries me. But I'm just like I said, like I said at the start of the, at the start of the pod, very optimistic. I'm looking forward to every game. Obviously, if we have a slip up, which we will, and eventually have a slip up. But at the moment, the fixtures we've got coming up, the teams are playing, they're there to be won. And I think if we're going to challenge for third or even second, if you're Josh, then these are the games that we need to win.
0: Yeah, yeah well said. Um, what's your approach to this, Josh? I mean, I guess the, the other question I'd ask you is, would you go Would you go with an unchanged side? We've seen the under-21s play this evening, they've won 2-1 I believe Smith Rowe got minutes. I believe Cedric scored, <laughs> of all things, and Fabio Vieira got his first run out. Would you be looking to, uh, say, say, sounds silly to say freshen the team up at this stage, but would you be looking at any changes, injuries pending, or would you go with the same lineup, same tactics, and just go at them?
2: Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be changing anything. Right now, we're at the point where we're not, well, until the weekend when the bank holiday comes up, we're not, um, we're still playing a game every week. So I think it's more of the case of get the job done in 60 minutes and then give us the options to rotate some players. Obviously we've got the five subs so we can give you know, Fabio Vieira can get 10, 15 minutes. Smith Rowe can get 20 minutes, half an hour elsewhere. I think that's what I'd like to see. And then obviously if, uh, yeah, if Tommy is a fit and available again, let's give him some minutes because I think the Bournemouth team, they could cause an upset if you're not uh, prepared, should you say, to think there was a little bit unexpected by their result, you know, first game of the season, but I think three games in, uh, being in the Premier League will have worn off a little bit because they weren't long out of it. I know there was a, they had a fairly big turnover in terms of players at the club, but I think there is just the opportunity to really go down there and I don't think we'll give him a similar hiding to um, City did, but I think it would be of a similar comfortableness, should we say, that he could see us getting 2-0, 60 minutes gone, and then we're happy with that 2-0, sit back and just freshen the legs up. Because as I say, one of my biggest criticisms of Arteta last season was his reticence to keep the entire squad fresh and just really keep... And like a core thirteen players were the only ones that really got minutes fundamentally. And when it came to injuries or needing to rotate, you could see that fatigue struck him pretty quickly, or just rustiness generally. Um, so that's why I'd like to see before the Europa League campaign kicks off.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think is it is it next week we find out the draw because I think there's qualifiers think so, going
2: on now. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. last round of the qualifiers is uh, this week, I think, from memory. Mm.
0: So that'll be interesting to see where we end up sending our players across God knows where in Europe. Um, We, of course, bring you the draw for that via our Twitter feed and I'm sure we'll discuss it on the pod when it's announced as well. Okay, um, I do think with that Bournemouth game, by the way, I I feel like the first goal is quite important. It feels a little bit like that Palace game, doesn't it? You know, you you get the crowd quiet and you score the first goal and, and then you progress through the game from there. So I do feel like we should, I don't think we should go into it with any fear. Um, But equally, I don't want us to go in thinking, oh, well, we'll just turn up and win because we all know how that ends when we're not fully focused. Um, Right. Okay. um, So into the sort of uh, latter stages of the pod we go, then. This is where I will hand the reins across to you, Josh, for a selection of our questions. And um, yeah, feel free to pick out the best of what we have
2: had. Wow. Uh, I better grab the first two because you told them already that we've uh, noted down their questions. So the first one. I think uh, we'll go to you, Alice. Uh, Does our bright future solely depend on our saviour never getting injured?
1: I think yes and no. There's a lot to say about Nketiah and how how he'll step up, but the way, even in two games or even pre-season that we've seen how much Jesus has um, influenced our game, I think if he's out for an extended period, that will really damage our credentials of top four or, or above. Um, so it, he, inevitably, he'll, he'll probably get injured. He'll miss a few, fair few games. But I think with the competition we've got, we've got a lot more competitions than we had last year. Um, in the League Cup, in the Europa League, in the FA Cup, I think we'll definitely need to strongly rotate. And I think if you've given Eddie the 14 and you've convinced him to sign a new contract, there has been promises there about game time, so I think there'll be some strong rotation there with Inca playing in in the other not lesser competitions, but the um, the competition where you can afford to not play your, your first choice eleven. So I think hopefully we'll get a good rotation, and if we're lucky, Gabriel Jesus won't miss too many. But if he's out for a considerable amount of time, I'd be really worried about our our position in the table in the season.
2: Yeah, that's, that's fair. I think, yeah, similarly that we've got, um, and Katia looks a different animal with, uh, Jesus to practice with. Um, and they're both kind of similar in their style. Um, Chris, question for you from Jimmy H32. Uh, as previously stated, you fell out of love for the club over the last couple of years. As many of us have done with what the club is doing on and off the field is the energy coming back from the, and that's where it cuts off. So I think I can finish the rest of it and say, "What brought the love back?"
0: Uh, I presume Jimmy means me personally here.
2: Yes, yeah, we're for you. Up. Yeah, because you were grumpy and you hated Arsenal.
0: <laughs> I hated everything. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I hated football. I hated everything. Um, no, look, I just, I, you know, there, there's two, there's two sides of this. There's one is the manager, and at the time I was. Skeptical, I think it's fair to say. And, and yeah, I did lose a bit of phase. I'm not, you know, not too proud to admit that, but I was also more than happy to come out on social media and, and admit where I got it wrong. And, and, you know, we were basically, let's be honest, we were the Gabriel Jesus signing in in January away from that top four. Weren't we? That was the key thing. It was the lack of goals. And if we had have got him in January, I think we, we would have sewn that up fairly comfortably. So, you know, that I think the end of the season filled me with hope and, and expectation um, but it's not just the manager, I think it's the the backroom shake up. Um Edu, whilst coming across as a very likable chap, is also clearly a, a pretty decent business uh, advisor or you know director of football. Um the feel away from the club, like the appointments of Jack Wilshire, the the further involvement of Per Mertesacker, this the securing of younger talent. I saw um what's the what's the right back's name? He signed the new contract. Norton Cuffey, is it? Is that mm-hmm. his name? Yeah. Um, you know, he he's being deemed as the future, and I'd love to see an Ashley Cole situation with him. Maybe not with the swerving off the road and the Chelsea with it, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, there does just I just feel like uh there is a side of Arteta that is has actually relaxed a bit this year, and that's permeated through the club. And in that documentary, it really came across when they were at the table and and I think Eddie was talking to was it Richard Garlick? I think he was just saying, Oh, Mikel is a lot more he seems a lot more, un, you know, unwound. He's not quite as tense as quite as tight. And although when yang clearly took the piss out of his team talk, he, you know, he went along with it. You could still tell it was a part of him that didn't really like the fact that somebody was mocking him. But but I kind of respect it. I like the fact that he's committed. I like the fact that he's put things in place. And and I guess from my personal standpoint, um, I all I've ever wanted, and I'll quote Dom on this because Dom's always said the same and, and I think I'll always feel the same way. I just want us to compete. But I want to I want to enjoy it. You know, I don't I did some of that football we were playing in the early days was not enjoyable. Um, And under Emory to to a degree towards the end as well. Um, I don't want to see us being rolled over by teams easily. And I I don't want to see us compete. And, you know, we're not in a position where we can win titles right now. I don't think. Um, But we're an excitable, enjoyable and likable team. Um, and as I said all along, even when I doubted Arteta, I want it to work for him. I do still think he, there's some things he's got to learn. But he's what is he, 38, 37, 38? I think he's yeah. he younger than me. Maybe I think he's he's not far off anyway. Yeah. He's a young manager. He's still learning his trade. There's plenty of things to go. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I have just been a bit more positive <laughs> because <laughs> I don't like being a miserable bastard. I <laughs> prefer being happier.
2: Yeah, and I think the more we see of Arteta, the more we can see he aligns with the fans as well. Fundamentally, he wants exactly the same thing we want. And um, yeah, and partly I'm going to go in and answer Jimmy H. That's his other question about the transfer window. um, That, you know, the first time that he's felt in over six years that as a fan, he's not panicking about who we're going to sign. And I think that also helps that we've got a settled squad. Yeah, we. There's some people who are like, we want Tielemans now or to us we want Tielemans yesterday. But I think we're also quite happy with the squad we've got. We can see the work that's being done by the point of whether or not we want to be a little, um, you know, want to go into the details of accountancy. Are we getting the best value when we get rid of players? Fundamentally, the turnover we've done in the squad has left us with a group of players that we all generally like. Um, And I'm sure we'll speak about the Deadwood in other questions as well. um I think which questions shall I go to next? um Quickly, Chris, uh, will Marseille win the league with Nuno as top goal scorer?
0: <laughs> no, two parts to that question. One, fair play, Nuno had a really good start. Two, Marseille are, they're always one defeat away from being an absolute clown car. Um, and they might struggle to make Europe this year because there's a lot going on at that club, as is always the case. So, no, I hope Nuno does well, and I hope he uh, carries on playing with a smile on his face because he's quite a likeable chap and he's had a good start so far.
2: And I think he's our best left-back, who's not, of anyway Zinchenko. Anyway, uh, Ellis, for you, Mr. Boblex, a uh, question, who will get more time at right-back, White or Cedric?
1: Um, for me, White. I think that's obvious from the... the... The team for the last two games. Um, they obviously offer different things, but White for me is a much more solid, more reliable player than Cedric, and I think it probably feels the same. I think Cedric will still get some game time. Like I said, there is going to be a lot of games going on, Europa League, etc., etc., and Cedric will probably get games through that. But I think if it's going to come down to if Tommy Asu isn't fit, I think he's going to pick white more often than not. over Cedric.
2: Yeah, but I think so too. Um, Chris, there's going to be two questions, one from Phil Macker and one from Joshua Page, but they're both about the same player. Um, <laughs> obviously you can see Phil is asking, is Pepe the last of the Deadwood? But I'm going to slide in with Joshua Page's question and say, with Pepe's links to a nice loan or a nice loan, depending <laughs> on how you want to say it. Um, would indicate we're definitely going for another wide forward. Do you think Pepe is the last player we're going to try and actively get rid of? Or do you think there's still other Deadwood that you can't see having any role in the squad next Um, for the season?
0: I I think there's two players that we're keen to get out the door before Pepe, but I think Pepe is still one we're still keen to get out the door, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I I think we're very keen to, to move on Hector. And I think we're still very keen to move on one of Re Nelson or Anthony Maitland-Niles, if not both, because they're both English premium they're both on a decent wage um but I yeah I, th- I think if we had a I think if we had a suitable offer for Pepe and by suitable I mean alone, regardless of how much of his wages somebody will take, I think we will take that deal um It makes me a bit sad because I still think there's a player in there. And I think if his attitude's right and if he trains hard, I think he will get chances, especially in that Europa League. He's the sort of player that would be absolutely ideal for that Europa League run because it will give him opportunity for game time. It will give an opportunity to play anywhere across the front three, arguably in rotation with Um And it will give him an opportunity to put himself in the frame for, for a place, um, you know, come sort of Christmas time or, well, I suppose that'd be World Cup time. Wouldn't it? Did Ivory Coast qualify? Did they?
2: can't remember. I uh, don't think I, so. I don't
0: think they did either. I may be wrong, but say they didn't, he would be valuable. Um, but personally, I think we're going to bring in a wide forward regardless. But I think whether Pepe stays or goes will determine what level of wide forward we get in. Because I think if Pepe stays, they'll just go for a, you know, a, a Gakpo or somebody who's uh, potentially going to come in and, and contribute maybe further down the line, like next season. Whereas I think if Pepe goes, they'll look for a, a ready-made guy who's going to come in and challenge. Or Fabio Vieira will play that role because he played that role tonight and had sort of spoken about that. So, yeah, um, if I had to put my mortgage on it, I would say Pepe does still go before the end of the month um, because I think he wants to play football. But if he stays, um, I, I hope we utilise him because otherwise, you know, 72 million quid, we're not going to get 72 quid for him at this rate if he's not playing games. So uh, I'd l- I wouldn't mind seeing him at Leeds, weirdly. I think that's the sort of move that would make sense mm. for him. But, you know, I just, yeah, I think it just makes sense for him to move on. And, and it is a shame. And he would be, what, the last one of the of the era prior to Arteta to go, would he? Well, excluding Xhaka, I suppose. But I think he would be the last of that, that Raul Sunyehi tribe of
2: people. yeah, certainly people brought in under Sunyehi and Mislintat as well yes anyone else that anyone else that's still here was brought in prior to them
0: yes exactly that i i I do i say i do hope he stays but there is a little bit of bias in me because again yeah i saw the player that he was and i saw the player that we signed and unfortunately the player we've got now is not the player that we that we invested all that money in when he was the best player in france two and a half years ago uh
2: i could say something about the french league but i'm Can't be bothered. Don't even <laughs> Can't be it. bothered. Um, Ellis, question from your friend of mine, Stefan Selby. That was Chris's friend as well. Uh, he got Tierney has come on as a sub in both matches. Is it something we need to worry about regarding Zinchenko or is it just good five sub strategy?
1: Um, I don't think it's uh, something we need to worry about. I think in in both games we've been, well, actually, in the Leicester game we were relatively comfortable. So, you give Sinchenko a bit of a, a, bit, of a, um, a bit of a rest. Um, and with the Crystal Palace game, I thought, I don't want to be too critical of Zinchenko, but at times towards the end of that game, there's a bit of a squeaky bum time with Crystal Palace. And I thought Zinchenko was getting a bit tired and they just wanted someone who was a bit more, not as attacking, in Tierney, but a bit more sometimes more solid defensively and someone who can sit back and, and, and stop that sort of counter attack or the attack that Palace are trying to do. So I I I don't think you should be concerned about fitness worries for Zinchenko. I just think
2: at the time it was either tactical or just giving me a bit of a rest because we were comfortable. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'm going to speed run the last two um, over to you, Chris. Who's the bigger flop, Sancho or Maguire?
0: <laughs> Christ, that's a loaded gun, isn't it? Mm. Um... <laughs> Don't I'll say Maguire because I still think there's a player in Sancho whereas I think Maguire was never that great in the first place but yeah Sancho's been badly managed him yeah, and Rashford it's so. a crying shame but yeah
2: Wow well, um, and Ellis one last one for you and then I will take uh question regarding uh, some certain midfielders at uh, another club um, yeah procrastinating Womble we could not have got Gabriel and Jan so who is a comparable signing as I can't see many as a special player.
1: Um, does he mean who is comparable as a, someone we couldn't have got in January or does he mean in terms of I another assume, team? So got? yeah,
2: yeah. Who could we have got in January that would have been comparable to Gabrielle?
1: Oh, uh, okay. Got yeah. You, got you. Um, this is a really difficult Gosh. question. I, 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 don't think there is anyone like that certainly not anyone who's premier league proven um and and you do know as well as most people listen to me before i don't really watch much more than the premier league or arsenal so in terms of across the continent or in um uh in europe or, or further afield, i don't know probably you or chris are probably a better one to answer that i can't really i, I don't really know of anyone that would have made an impact as much as jesus has made for us
0: was it in January? Did he say oh oh as in strike sorry, I thought yeah, when he said Gabrielle, yeah. I was like, why would we want to bring in another centre half? Um <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I I think you're right, Ellen. I, I, I think the only way we could have done it is if we'd have brought in a player who was um a player who wasn't getting games, who was available in January for a short loan. I think that's the only sort of player we could have mm. brought in at that point. I still don't think we would have brought in. I think the, the other problem as well is, uh, sorry to go off on a tangent here, but on the documentary, although we clearly don't see everything that went on with Aubameyang for obvious reasons, and I'm sure there's a lot of legal twists and turns in that as well, what we did see is that there was a clear um, difference of opinion between Arteta ruling with an iron fist and saying, get this guy out, and Richard Garlick and Edu going, hang on a minute, Whoa, hang on, we uh, we kind of don't really have money and we kind of don't really have options to replace him. And it seems like, to me, that decision was done very late in the window. And when Alba flew out to Barcelona to basically, let's be honest, force the move because he didn't have permission hmm. to go, um, that to me sort of smacked of us because it it was done right on deadline day, wasn't it? It was done right at the very last minute.
2: I think it was done two days after, if I remember rightly. We we terminated his contract and then he signed for them.
0: as a free agent. You're absolutely right. So I I think that although we probably knew that Alba was on the way out, I think originally the plan would have been to keep him and to rehabilitate Mm -hmm. him and play him. And I think because of his attitude and because it went so toxic to the very last minute, I think we just went, you know what, actually, we just, we can't replace him. You know, <laughs> we can't replace him. No. Uh, but um, yeah, and, and I think I think Arteta took a gamble. And I think, you know, in years to come, when he's asked about this situation, he will probably say that that maybe wasn't my finest moment. But yeah, as you said, Alisson, like, you know, you can have as much football knowledge in, in every league in the world. There's only so many centre forwards. Look at Chelsea. They're trying to buy wingers and turn them into centre forwards because they just aren't available. <laughs> so, um, you know, we either got really lucky... And got somebody on loan short term, or we would have had to have paid through the nose. You know, Vlaovic, I never thought it would have worked personally, mm. and I know it's hindsight, but I'm, I'm glad we waited for Jesus. Um, I just wish that Alba's situation hadn't have deteriorated quite so dramatically as it did because you know, if, if he'd have just given us four to five months and then slipped off into the night, we probably would have been all right. That said, he wasn't playing very well, was he? So, yeah,
2: no, he, he wasn't scoring, so uh, no. Yeah, I think the club did the right
0: happen. thing in the end. It's just mm. a shame that, you know, Lacker wasn't firing and Eddie sort of came very late when it was probably mm. too late. And yeah, it, it, it was just, it's just an unfortunate circumstance, but I think the club handled that situation pretty well overall based upon, again, what we saw. We don't know the full story, but I think it was very clear that, that Alba had to go and the club made the right choice.
2: Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to just finish off on, uh, answer Yumi's question regarding uh, who would I have at Arsenal between Casado uh, and Enoch Mwepu? So if anybody doesn't know, they are central midfielders for Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, and I think it's a very quick answer, to be honest. It's in my order of preference, Alexis McAllister, uh, <laughs> and then it would be Casado. And I wouldn't put this lightly to say he reminds me of Vieira at nineteen, of that kind of player. He is still raw as hell, but my God, does he love a tackle? And yeah, occasionally he doesn't put um doesn't pass as crisply as he should. But there is a player in there that will dominate a midfield in two two or three years time. He'll be running midfields on his own. Uh, but right now it would be an interesting situation for us to go after because the money you'd want I wouldn't justify starting him let's put it that way it's that difficult thing, would you pay £50 million pounds for a player to sit on your bench and I don't think we're in that position necessarily, although it's one for the future it's that kind of money to get him out Mwepu, if you wanted to get him out of Brighton, I think £25 million does it um, at best but it's probably the most on there because he hasn't really shown what he can do yet. Um, still very raw in terms of what you've seen from him. And to be honest, Casado is the one with the higher ceiling. Um, I think it would be a crying shame if he left to go to Man United. And that is the only issue on his CV as he grew up Man United fan. Um, but we know from many, many players that we can find from anywhere that they, you know, um, how many of Liverpool legends um, grew up supporting Liverpool? We'll do that and I'll leave it there. Uh, and then pass over to you, Chris, to wrap up the show.
0: Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and yeah, I think it's fair to say, I don't know what Danny's plans are for deadline day this year. I don't know whether we're going to do a show or not. We'll, we'll certainly do a podcast around the the transfers because I, I still think we're going to be fairly active in the next couple of weeks, both ins and outs. But um yeah, I, I think we will we will sort of judge our window at the end of it, as it were. But um, one thing's for sure, our rivals are going to be busy. I think Chelsea and United, in particular, are going to be very busy. I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool went into the market now with the amount of injuries they've got. So, uh, and if City lose Bernardo Silva, for example, I think there's going to be a fair bit of movement. So, um, yeah one thing's for sure teams like Brighton I would imagine will very much be looking over their shoulders at clubs with money right now particularly clubs who are very deep in crisis looking to throw their money wherever they possibly can but we shall see right Um, we are going to leave it there then for this week Uh, thank you to everybody who has joined us both live um, and in delay uh, if you listen to this on the podcast Uh, I think we've had a couple of first-time viewers and listeners tonight so hello to them um, and, um, and I personally have been speaking to a friend of mine recently who's looking to get into podcasting quite soon. Um, and uh, I, I used our show as an example of how not to host, now I'm joking, uh, of how to uh, sort of, you know, embrace the world of podcasting. And I know there's a lot of new podcasts out there and people starting on their, their first sort of steps into this world. Um, and what I would say is it's just really nice to have just a nice chat with people and just enjoy it. Enjoy it, man, as Ria Ferdinand would say. So, um, yeah, to anybody, anybody out there who might be looking to start a podcast or maybe come on ours at some point, um, you know, keep in touch with us. Keep Keep on asking those questions, because without you, dear listener, we are just three blokes talking into the wind. Some would argue we are that anyway, to be fair. But uh, we appreciate each and every one of you. If you haven't already, um, please do hit the subscribe on the YouTube. Uh, Hit the bell for all the notifications as to when we go live. Uh, You know where to find us on Twitter and all of those good platforms. Um, Keep it tuned in. We are doing a preview show, I believe, Friday, I want to say, Danny will do it. It varies, but keep an eye. Danny will do a preview show. Um, Danny also did a show last night on the loans. It was just him on his lonesome, bless him. Um, But it was very enjoyable, half an hour, 40 minutes of uh, Danny just breaking down the loans. So go and check that out. And uh, yeah, keep it tuned. We will be back next week. Don't know who the guests are yet. We shall have to see, but we'll find, we'll cobble some people together. And hopefully we'll be talking about another Arsenal victory uh, in the pink kit again, I think we'll be wearing. So good times ahead uh right just remains for me to thank my two guests so uh, josh thank you very much for not only being a part of the podcast but also pressing all the buttons and doing all the good stuff
2: that's all right and yeah if um everybody would like to follow me that's great if you don't don't have to it's fine it's mostly nonsense
0: and if they wish to do so where can they find you
2: you can find me on twitter at josh the human 23 um I would say mainly if you don't like cyclists don't follow me. If you don't like James O'Brien don't follow me. If you don't like railway workers don't follow me. Um <laughs> if you don't like um I don't know tongue and cheek <laughs> comments don't follow me. If you don't like Bryson if you're a Palace fan follow me. It's funny. Um <laughs> I do like opposing fans um on my timeline. It's quite nice. But yeah. Um otherwise yeah. See what happens. Like- playing the game playing the game yeah. you you got
0: to do it you got to do it um Ellis if people wanted to follow you thank you of course for your time this evening nice to have you back after all this time um, and can you also confirm live on air that you do not have Spurs players in your fantasy team this year
1: I can confirm at present <laughs> oh, I do not have a single Spurs player okay, in my well, fantasy team <laughs>
0: as I said it's been nice having you back you won't be on the show again but thanks for coming on um <laughs> but, but no it has been good to to have you back and um, yes. yeah you're you're uh, you're available on the socials I believe if people wish to
1: follow you yeah it's been good to be back um, if you wish to follow me on twitter I'm at lsml, my literal name but I probably wouldn't bother because I don't really do much or tweet much well, mainly just retweets I imagine actually when you asked me to put my twitter handle in
2: I didn't even know what it was but you can follow me there if you wish <laughs> I have to say, Ellis has turned a corner with players because he asked, he texted me this week to ask me what he should put into his team (laughs) as well. (laughs) And you full well, I wouldn't tell him Kulosevsky.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't bother. I just thought,
2: I, I knew you were the man for Brighton
1: so I asked you about a Brighton player and you gave me another player that wasn't from Brighton as well I know you're taking a sabbatical so I know I can pinch your ideas yeah (laughs) (laughs) keep them on the back
0: burner I've started my fantasy season very well so I'm sure that will go off a cliff um, very very soon although I did bench Reese James and he scored last week and I benched Sekumara and he set up Southampton's equaliser so that went well but anyway not to worry Um, right we'll leave it there then so as I say thank you to everyone who's tuned in Um, we do appreciate your support as always Uh, let's hope that This feel good factor continues, um, and let's hope that our other rivals, particularly the ones just down the road from us, if they could start losing, that'd be lovely. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Danny, um, who's sort of here but not here tonight, for all his hard work. And uh, we will be back after the Bournemouth game, and of course, back before to preview it. Keep it, Arsenal. Enjoy yourselves and stay safe. We'll speak to you very soon. Good night. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog.